If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I will invite you to open up to Jeremiah. <clears throat> we'll, be, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 32. Um, remember I told you as we've <clears throat> been looking at Jeremiah, Jeremiah um, is going through some pretty harsh prophecies in the first 28 chapters. 29, 30, and 31 in the middle of Jeremiah are kind of reprieve where God shares promises and plans that he has for them. In chapter 32, God begins to work in Jeremiah's life and has him live out, if you will, a a little object lesson. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, we, we pick up what the Lord has for us. Nope, not 1 Samuel. That's Wednesday. There we go. In Jeremiah chapter 32, it says, the, when, or the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighth year of Neb, or the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. All right. What do I do? Sell my glasses? Are they hanging on my head somewhere? Are they up there? Do, 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 do. Just bear with me a minute. I can't see. <clears throat> I thought I'd try to fake it, but it's just not going to work. Oh, that. See, I put them right here. So when I got done singing, they'd be handy. Oh, let there be light. And there was light, and I could see the words on the page. All right. The 18th year. So basically, here's what's going on. Jeremiah is going to be entering into a test of faith. And this test of faith takes place in 587 B.C. 587 B.C. He numbers it for us. We are still at the time. Now, this prophecy is still at the time of Zedekiah. (coughs) Zedekiah is a puppet king who was put in office by Nebuchadnezzar and should have just been a vassal for him. And you remember when Jeremiah was talking to Zedekiah, he would tell him, just be at peace. Live here and everything will be okay. But if you try to rise up in rebellion against Babylon, it's going to get worse. Well, that's not very patriotic. I mean, you always want to root for your team no matter what the score, right? No matter how bad things look. So Zedekiah Zedekiah decides he's going to go find help and he's going to go to war. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes down in 587. He's going to take Zedekiah out. Remember, Zedekiah is the king that he is going to kill his sons before his eyes and then pluck his eyes out and, uh, and let him live that that would be the last thing he ever saw. And we have Jeremiah who prophesies that Zedekiah is going to go see the king in Babylon eye to eye. And Ezekiel says he's going to go to Babylon, but he's never going to see it. And history shows us how that worked. He went to Babylon, and the king plucked out his eyes. He didn't see much of anything after that. So as we look at it, this is what's coming. This is the future that Jeremiah has been prophesying. Now, keep in mind, that future was on Zedekiah's choice, right? I could choose to walk with the Lord. And be obedient. Or I can choose to do what I want to do. 
That's fine. You have freedom of choice. All God's telling Zedekiah is where those two roads lead. One road led to peace. The other led to war. One road, his sons would have been fine. They could have grew up to be old men. The other road meant it was going to cost them everything. Rather than understanding and perceiving that this prophecy that God was bringing and seeing it in that light, that basically all God's telling you is what the future is of the two roads you can choose. Zedekiah decided that Jeremiah was a pain in the neck, and so he put him in prison. So Jeremiah is in the prison as he shares this with us. It says in verse 2, For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. So under Zedekiah's house is a prison. It was pretty common in those days that they would have their prisoners right, you know, in case they wake up in the middle of the night and want to go torture somebody, there's somebody there that they can mess with. So for whatever reason, they would keep sometimes the prison or jail houses right below the ruler's house and so here he has it right below his house and it says for zedekiah king of judah had had shut him up they couldn't make jeremiah stop talking so he decided i'm going to shut him up here's what i'm going to do here's what i'm going to do why do you prophesy he said and say thus says the lord behold i will give this city into the hand of the king of babylon and he will take it zedekiah king of judah cannot escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him. Says the Lord, though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So this was the prophecy. And again, keep in mind, he's going to go face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to see him eye to eye. Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill his sons, pluck out his eye. And then he's going to travel from there to Babylon as a blind man. Now, because of this prophecy, he locked him up. I don't, I don't, in order to not hear you anymore, Jeremiah, I'm going to put you in prison. And I don't have to listen to it. Whether you lock the guy in prison or not, truth is the truth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. That means something that is always true no matter what you do. And absolute truth for us in our time is the Word of God. A lot of people look at the Word of God and they see parts of the Word that they don't like. They say the Word of God is not tolerant. You're right, it's not. The Word of God is not tolerant against sin. And it's not afraid to call sin, sin. But at the same time, it is also willing to extend redemption to the sinner. And an opportunity to be saved. An opportunity to receive the grace of God and live with Jesus Christ in in heaven forever. That is one road. The other road is to do whatever you want. Two choices, right? When the Lord prophesies and he says in his word the truth that one road leads to hell and the other road leads to heaven, people get mad at God. Well, how can you send me to hell? I didn't. You chose. 
If we walked out here and I said, now, when you guys go out the driveway, if you turn right, you can go eat at Roberto's. We'll call that heaven. (laughs) Or you can turn left and head all the way down the road into Hagerman if you want to. Now, well, you can get there. Right? So, if you go out and you get to the end and you say, I want to go to heaven and you turn left toward Hagerman... And you follow the highway all the way around. You get in Hagerman. You get in Hagerman and you go, curse Jackie. Well, I don't know what's wrong with him. He wouldn't let me go to Roberto's. Excuse me? All you had to do was go out the driveway and turn right. You are a knucklehead. You went out the driveway and turned left. Folks, that's how simple the choice of salvation or damnation is. It's that simple. I choose to put my life in submission to Christ and I spend eternity with Him. Period. I choose to live my life feeding myself as much sin as I can possibly grasp on this earth. Two choices. Here's Zedekiah upset about where he's at. What Jeremiah said. But what Jeremiah said was true, right? He said, if you go to war... Nebuchadnezzar is going to come whoop you. Who's outside Jerusalem right now as we read this prophecy? Nebuchadnezzar. He set up a siege. Now, we can read that and we can just go, oh yeah, set up a siege. Oh, that's nice. That means people are starving to death. Setting up a siege means you let no water, food, anything comes in. And nothing comes out. And basically, you conquer a city without ever having to to raise a sword. Or you keep them people there until they're starving to death and they finally out of desperation come against you. And as they come out against you, they're so weak from being starved, your army whoops them and beats them easy. You have those choices. You have those, those things laid out. And when we see the, the siege, I want you to see, I want you to realize the horror that Zedekiah put his own people through because of his stubbornness that he didn't want to hear the truth. No different than any man or woman who chooses to walk in rebellion against God and the destruction that they bring into their own family as a result. It's the same. That's what's going on. So, hey, I don't want to hear what Jeremiah has to say. I'm not going to go to church anymore because I don't like the message. doesn't change the fact that the message is true. doesn't change it. still the truth. The truth is still the truth. And so here Jeremiah is in this prison. And he says that Zedekiah is going to lose. And there while Jeremiah is in the prison, God speaks to him. That's what God did to his prophets. And it says in verse 7, or in verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalem, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So the Lord warns him that this crooked cousin, Hanamel, is coming to see him. Now, I don't want you to miss the point. Hanamel is coming to sell him a piece of land that the king of Nebuchadnezzar is sitting on right now. That's tantamount to, you know, trying to sell you coastland in Idaho. He says, hey, redeem my land, because the king Nebuchadnezzar is sitting on it, and I can't do anything with it, so I'm going to sell it to you. Will you buy it? Of course I won't buy it. That's the dumbest uh, financial decision on the planet, isn't it? 
to buy something that's not yours. The king of Babylon has it now. What are you going to go show him a title deed and say it's mine? Would you please get off? Get off my property? You think that would work with King Nebuchadnezzar? I think you'd end up in a fiery furnace. So the Lord says, "Here he's coming. He's coming to see you. And he's going to ask you to redeem this field. So in verse 8, it happens. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth. What a great deal. What a great deal. Buy the field that you can't have. <clears throat> Which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours. Oh, what? Then this guy, you got to understand who this guy is. Right? You get it? He's offering him something that Nebuchadnezzar has now. What a crook. Which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself, Jeremiah. Wow, you, what a great opportunity he is. He's, he's the ultimate salesman. Oh, you really need this. You really need this place, beautiful land, and it's, it's perfect. You know, it's got a little creek runs right through it, and lots of place for your, for your cattle and stuff. Big piece of property. Oh, it's just what you need, Jeremiah. That's one small problem. Then, he says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field. Now, God told Jeremiah, when this guy comes, buy it. God ever tell you to do something that is the dumbest thing you ever heard in your life? If he hasn't, he will. Life is full of journeys of faith. Well, we were talking about it this morning, right? When Peter said, Lord, let me come out and walk on the water. That's a dumb request. Nobody can walk on the water. What did Jesus say? Come on. Hop out the boat. Here the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he, it, it's a good thing because he had probably threw this guy out on his ear. I'm in prison, under the king's place. You want me to give you money for that place that I can't be on because Nebuchadnezzar's there. It's, it's worthless to everyone, but God said, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. So he said, then I knew this was the word of the Lord. He knew. He knew this is where God is directing him. He knew that this was an opportunity for him to be obedient to God's word. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Uh, well, the good news is he paid about what it was worth. 17 shekels of silver is not very much money. You with me? 30 pieces of silver is what Jesus was betrayed for. So he bought this piece of property for 17 17 shekels of silver. It's a, a small price. But then look at all the work he had to go through to do it. <clears throat> so I signed the deed and sealed it. And I took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah. Now Baruch is his secretary. He's the one who delivers the prophecies when Jeremiah is locked up in prison the son of Maseiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed. 
before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the purchase deed that is sealed and the deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. God's got him doing an object lesson. Everybody believes this is the end. Everything's lost. Everything's over. We've lost it all. You know, we're in a siege. It's all, everything's bad. And sometimes we can look at the circumstances that face us, the things that are in our life, and all we can see is what's wrong. But God tells us that all those plans that he has for our life are good. We just can't always see it. Even the crazy ideas like, uh, Jeremiah, go ahead and buy it from this guy. So he buys it. Now there's two things I want you to recognize from this. One, the scroll is sealed. It's a purchase deed for the property that he bought. Is there anywhere else in the Bible that we see a scroll that's sealed? If you look in the book of Revelation, you have a scroll sealed with seven seals. We want to let the Bible define what's going on in the Bible so we know that the scroll that we were looking at in the book of Revelation that Jesus opens, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh seal... It's the scroll that contains the title deed to the earth. It's his. He paid the redemption price, right? Just like Jeremiah paid 17 pieces uh, or 17 shekels of silver, Jesus Christ paid for this property. He redeemed it back. Who was this property given to? This property was initially given to Adam. Adam, here's the world. It's all yours. It's all, everywhere you can go, whatever you can do, I've made it for you. And he walked into a a snake one day who led him to make a choice, right? The Lord says there's two choices. Life, death. Choose life. What did Adam do? Chose death. At that moment... And immediately every soul born was required by God to die because of the sin that was inherited from every father to his son. Every mother to the daughter is passed down to us all. We have a debt to pay. We can't pay the debt except to die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So Jesus Christ came who didn't ever have to die. Why? Because he was without sin. Only the soul that sins shall die, Scripture says. Only the soul that sins. There was more than one tree in the Garden of Eden, wasn't there? All kind of trees, right? Two that were notable. Do you remember the name of the other one? One was a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other was a tree of life. If you ate of the tree of life, you would live forever with him. You see the choice? Two roads, 
life, death. Adam chose death and that fell or passed to everyone. From the time that Adam began to have children, no longer did it say that they were in the image of God. What did they say? They were in Adam's image. What does that mean? It was, it was a fallen image. Why? Because Adam was created without a sin nature, but every person after him was born to sin. But Jesus paid the price. You see, on that scroll, they would write on one side the, the boundaries of the property, and on the other side, the price. And then they would roll it up and seal it. And only the one who came to redeem could break the seals, open the scroll, pay the price, and gain it back. Isn't that exactly what Jesus does? And that's exactly what the book of Revelation is explaining in Revelation chapter 6. As the tribulation period begins and Jesus opens the seals to the earth. It is his and the fullness thereof. So we see the, the scripture giving us the clues. It's telling us what the scrolls are, what they look like. And he kept it in an earthen vessel. Now that doesn't seem very safe, does it? Now how many of you guys who have guns at home will keep your gun in a clay pot? Oh, probably not very many. I'm probably the closest to keeping them in a clay pot. I'm not very good. But then they kept them in a clay pot. And you would say, now that is just dumb. They needed a locking filing cabinet or something, right? Until this little shepherd boy threw a rock in a cave. He was wondering if one of his sheep had gone in there. And when he threw the rock in the cave, he heard something crash, break. And he went in the cave. Now the Bedouins are always looking for ways to make money. So he goes in the cave and he looks at these jars. And in these jars are all these scrolls. And he thinks to himself, oh, that might be worth something. I'll go tell my dad. So he goes and he tells his dad, dad, you know, I found all these scrolls. And so his dad gathered them all up. And he took them and sold them to some guy in the market. For like a hundred bucks. But that's how it is. In Israel, you better know what you have or what you're buying. They sold them for a hundred bucks. You know what they found, right? 2,000 year old scroll of Isaiah, complete, and numerous title deeds just like Jeremiah's. That's a pretty long time to last, isn't it? 2,000 years? I have a file cabinet that we've moved for 25 years. Man, nothing is going to survive in that thing. Not for 2,000 years. The day after I'm gone, my kids will throw it in the dump. They'll say, well, it doesn't matter. What's all this stuff that I carried around for 25 years? He put it in a clay pot so he could keep it. So it would last. Why? What was the purpose? What was the point? Why does it need to last? Because verse 15, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. God said, This is not forever. It came to pass. The destruction won't last forever. It might last your life. You know, Zedekiah, his choices were made. But it's not going to last forever. This is not the end of the nation, God is saying. It's not the end. I'm going to bring you back. That's what he's talking about. 
Remember, they're, they're in a time now. They're in the siege. Now this is after that middle part. Now we look back again to the siege before all the guys got put in chains and drug off. Before 28, 29, 30, uh, or 29, 30, and 31 were given. So Jeremiah doesn't follow a chronology. He just talks about what he wants to talk about when he wants to talk about it. So when we, when we look at it, that's what's going on. None of that stuff has happened yet. And already God's saying, it's not forever. It won't last forever. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, whatever's going on in your life, it may last your whole life, but it will not last forever. How do I know? Because Jesus redeemed you. So it won't last forever. I got two bum shoulders. Make me crazy. But they can only be bum shoulders while I'm here. One day this corruptible body will put on incorruption. One day I'm going home. One day I will see the king. One day none of this stuff that I thought was so important is going to matter. One day whether or not I got an elk during elk season or not. I won't even think about it. I won't walk by that wall in my house and look at the tag still stuck on a wall. Because none of that stuff matters. It is not eternal. One thing is eternal. Our relationship with Him. Remember, choose life. Choose life. That's eternal. That lasts. That matters. So it says in verse 16, Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Now, where do you go when you're having buyer's remorse? Because that's what he's having. Yeah, a lot of people do. But who told him to buy it? God. God God instructed him. God led him to do it. God told him what to do with it after he bought it. But he's suffering from a little bit of buyer's remorse. He's suffering maybe from a little bit of regret. He's suffering from thinking to himself, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Everybody in Jerusalem, if they weren't busy thinking about Nebuchadnezzar killing them, would think that is the dumbest thing. In fact, they're probably laughing about it right now. Hanamel probably, he went outside and he told everybody, you won't believe it. I got 17 shekels of silver for that property out there that Nebuchadnezzar's sitting on right now. Yeah, I sold it to my uncle, you know, that crazy prophet Jeremiah. He's always trying to talk about God this and God that. He bought it. What a knucklehead. You know that's what they're doing. Jeremiah is thinking, you ever thought that? Everybody thinks I'm stupid for what I've done. Everybody thinks I'm stupid for the choices that I've made. But you know what? God's people are still making those choices today. Do you know that there are people that follow the Lord in a mission field and give their whole life to live in another country? Craziest thing I ever heard of. I know one particular family that is in Afghanistan. Whole family. That's not the safest place in the world to go be. Not the safest place to be just to be. Let alone doing what they're doing. But they're there. Craziest thing I ever heard of. But they have the courage to be who God's calling them to be. Do you know that there are people today, some of God's people, who, who live their life as though He was first? And put him in that place of honor in their life. And even so far as to they, they are tithing or they are 
<coughs> walking in obedience. They are fulfilling God's plan in a variety of different ways in their life. And everybody thinks they're crazy. Oh, come on. It's either true or it's not. It's either real or it isn't. You either believe or you don't. The proof is in the eating. It's in the... It's in. It's crazy, kids. It's in the eating. It's in the... Proof is in the pudding. We see it. We see it. Jeremiah was willing. But he knows where to go when he's got doubt. So he goes to the Lord. And there's, there's several parts to his prayer. Um... <clears throat> And it's important because if we just take a quick look at his prayer, and then we're going to spend some time praying ourselves. So we look at his prayer, it's a real good model for us of how is it that we should bring our request to God. Interesting how Jeremiah does it. Interesting how Jeremiah does it. First it begins with a groan. Ah, like that. We're going to pray in a minute, so everybody needs to practice. Ready? On a count of three. One, two, three. Ah, it's a groan. I know you guys do it all the time. I do it every morning. I get up. I move around. I do the things that I do. There's groanings. It starts with a groaning. Every time Jeremiah prays and he's kind of questioning what God just had him do or had him say or what God's doing with Nebuchadnezzar against the people, he starts the prayer the same way. You look it up. He starts it with, "Ah." that's how it starts. It's a groan. It starts with a groan. He's groaning, his heart is wondering what's happening, there's this is anxiety, but he knows where to go. And he calls out the Lord God Almighty. And then it goes into the second phase. The second phase of his prayer is praise. First he groans, then he praises. Well, what's he praising for? Two things in, in particular, creation and redemption. Let's look. Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and outstretched arm, there is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. Begins with praise. Well, he's groaning. His heart's a little bit upset, but he begins with praise. First, he talks about creation. He speaks about God's power. He speaks of his creation. And then he speaks of his ability to redeem. His loving kindness toward others. And his ability to bring justice on those who need to have justice brought on them. God's ability to redeem. He knows how to work in a situation. And then he says right here in the middle of his prayer, there is nothing too hard for you. Sometimes we need to say that to ourselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. There is nothing too hard for God. Oh Lord, this is so hard. It might be hard for you. But it is not hard for God. What does God say when we come to Him and say, Lord, this is so hard and I'm so burdened. What does God say? Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So where are we supposed to take our burden? To Him. Why? Because nothing is too hard 
for God. Well, you don't understand, God. I'm losing everything. Who cares? It's all going to burn. First thing that happened in my guitar the day after I bought it, it got scratched. Can you believe that? And then the strings wore out and I had to replace strings. And then later on, the battery died. I had to put another battery in it. What I mean? All the junk here is falling apart. All the stuff here is falling apart. When you buy your house, is that the last thing you ever had to do? Well, I'm so glad I never had to fix nothing in that house. Because once you buy it, it lasts forever, right? No, why? It's not permanent. It's temporary. My checking account is not permanent. It's temporary. More temporary than permanent. Who cares? That's not what I'm living for. And that's a lousy way to keep score. How we're living is, are we able to obey those crazy things that God's calling us to? To do those things God's word lays out for us. Jeremiah prays. It begins with praise. He hasn't made any requests yet, right? He hasn't told God about all his problems. The closest thing to telling him his problem was the, uh, we'll practice that later when we pray. And then praise. Praising God for his creation. Praising God for his redemption. Then he goes from praise to worship. Listen, he's worshiping the all-powerful God. Isn't that what he said? By your great power and outstretched arm, there's nothing too hard for you. We call that the omnipotence of God. The omniscience of God, he's going to talk about. God's ability to be in every problem. God's ability to overcome all things. He talks about the love of God. These are all attributes of God, right? Your loving kindness to the thousands. He talks about the justice of God. Your ability to repay the iniquity of the fathers on those to whom iniquity needs to be paid. God knows how to settle accounts. He's not saying here, please listen, this is not generational curse. God has already said in almost every prophet that there is no such thing as a generational curse. The sins of the father that are passed to the sons are the examples that we as fathers live out for our kids. They follow in our footsteps. It's not some mystical curse that because your dad was an alcoholic, you will be. You will be if you follow in his footsteps. The sins of the father are passed to the son. That's what he's talking about. When he says this, the iniquity is going to be paid on the children. It's God's ability to know who needs to pay, where justice needs to be dealt. God knows how to do it. He knows how to get it from the fathers or, if need be, from their children. God knows how to work those things out. What do we call that? We call that God's ability to know everything, omniscience. He knows it all. He knows it all. He knows everything. He knows everything that he needs to know. And then he goes on. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Well, he's not finished with his praise because then as he goes from from his groan to his praise to his worship, 
He's going to give seven parts of that praise as we continue going on. He says, You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his doings, according to the fruit of his doings. Hey, God knows how to work it all out. God, you know everything. You understand it all. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day. And in Israel and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and a strong hand, with an outstretched arm and with great terror. And you have given them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and they took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law that they, they have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Hey, all these things God did, all these miracles He did, but He told the people, there are two roads. One will lead to your destruction. One will lead to your salvation. God is always looking to save Always. But he lets us know the path that we're on. And he let them know the path that they were on. And here, sure enough, it's coming true. All the things God said would happen, happened. And now Jeremiah finally gets to his request. Now he gets to his request. Listen, he says, look, the siege mounds, they have come to the city to take it. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. He's saying, God, exactly what you said would take place. It's happening. Look, look at what's going on. Look at what's happening to the city. And you have said to me, oh, Lord God, buy this field for money and take witnesses Yet the city has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. That was the end of the prayer. No amen. Just ends. Lord, what are you calling me to do? It's crazy. Are you aware, God? I mean, you're the one who said that these people were coming and you had me buy this property. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand the, the purpose behind it. He doesn't get it and he lays it out for him and God answers. Verse 26, it says, And the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God called Jeremiah to do some interesting things, crazy things. God calls us the same way. You spend time reading the Word, and pretty soon you'll say, Man, I didn't know that was in the Word. You mean I'm supposed to be doing that? Yeah. Well, surely God doesn't want me to do that. That's crazy. I don't know. Somehow God is able... To do abundantly beyond what we can ask or imagine. He is able to to make all those pieces fit. He's able to work it out. Wasn't that long ago there was a 
family from our very own church. And God laid on their heart to adopt a child. And I remember, I'll be honest, I remember, I said to Kathy, they already got a bunch of kids, babe. What do they need to adopt another child for? But wasn't a question of need. What was it a question of? Obedience. God said, I want you to adopt a child. So then I'm thinking, well, then adopt a child here. No. God said to adopt a child from Ethiopia. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Well, don't you think? And uh, the cost for that, why, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that you got to fly to Ethiopia. you got to pick them up. you got to do all this crazy stuff. What in the world are they? That is the craziest thing I have ever heard of. Hmm. Kind of like buying a piece of property that God says, buy. It doesn't make any sense. So they went. They were obedient. Was never really sure how all the things, all the stuff was going to come together that they needed. But the church stood with them. And they got it done. And today, Peter's a part of our church. I wonder what that was for. I wonder what God's got in mind for Peter or that he's going to work in his life. I don't know. Or what God works in the other kids' life. I don't know. What I know is, it is important to do the crazy things God calls you to do. To be obedient to the simple things He teaches us in His Word. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That is not... A casual suggestion. Let no corrupt word. Well, you know, sometimes I just get mad and I have to say whatever I feel. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your... Oh, that's just crazy. Now you're getting it. But I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know how to talk if I can't talk like that. Then you groan. Ugh. And you praise God. And you hear the answer that he gave Jeremiah. Is there anything too hard for me? Just do it. Stop making excuses and just do it. I promise. The way God called Amen Will, if he had called me to that, I'd have found a million excuses why it didn't make any sense. But praise God that they were faithful to say, we know that this is what God's calling us to do. And where God guides, what happens? He provides. And it came together. I was pretty sure it was not going to work out at all. But it did. God is calling his people, just like Jeremiah, to crazy acts Maybe even crazy acts of random 
kindness. I have to develop that concept a little bit more. It's coming, though. Hey, God wants to do some great things. But he wants us, in order to do those great things, to decide. Two paths I can take. A path that leads to destruction, anguish. God can redeem me from that path. I've read a million stories about how he does it. But it's a rotten road to walk. Or I can walk the path with him. There will still be struggles and hard things, but I'm where God wants me to be. There's no better place to be than in the center of God's will for your life. No better place. So, I have a house in California to sell. God must be speaking to one of you right now. I'm kidding. It's worth half of what uh, uh, I paid for it, and I'll sell it for you for double. Great deal. Feel just like Hannah Mill. Maybe somebody's out there. The Lord will bring them when it's worth double, maybe. We'll see. God wants to do great things. Amen? Why don't we pray? Let's take a time and just focus on the Lord. Meet Him in this place. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we thank you for this lesson as you called Jeremiah to do something crazy. God, I'm so thankful for your saints who are obedient. Who say, doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. And I pray, there's some of us here tonight, God, that you're speaking to. There's some of us that you've laid something on their heart. Some act of obedience, some, some thing that you're wanting to work in their life. And, and, and we can all come up with a hundred excuses why it doesn't make any sense. But God, I pray for each of us, we find no peace until we know peace with you. Until we are obedient, until we say, yes, Lord. Because even though trials will come and hardship will happen, sorrow lasts but a moment. Joy comes in the morning. It will not be forever. God, I pray we'd be obedient. I pray we'd be obedient in the things that your word is calling us to. I pray we'd be obedient in the way we ought to talk. I pray we'd be obedient in what we ought to be doing with our money. I pray we'd be obedient in what we ought to be doing with our time. I pray we'd be obedient and do what you're asking. I thank you for these here tonight who sacrificed of their time a million places they could have been. But they decided to sacrifice one evening to study the word. They were obedient. So meet them in this place, Lord God, and speak, encourage, guide, lead. Be glorified in the lives that we live for you, God, as we just seek your blessing and anointing upon this time. 